0: Hi, I'm Linise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone and menstrual cycle coach and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the period story podcast where in each episode I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now on to today's guest. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Danny Gordon, an expert in CBD and cannabis medicine and the author of the book The CBD Bible. Dr. Danny is a double board certified medical doctor and integrative medicine physician. She has advised the UN, governments and physician bodies on the use of medicinal cannabis and has also co-founded the UK Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, trained the UK's first cannabis medicine specialist and help set up the UK's first cannabis medicine clinics. For anyone that's interested in CBD, especially it's used for period pain, this episode is a must listen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Lillies. So let's start off by getting into the story of your first period. Can you tell us what happened?
1: So I was trying to think back to my first period when you emailed me and Mm -hmm. I was thinking gosh i don't have you know a very very clear recollection um, for some of the parts but certainly i remember that i was 12 i was a competitive swimmer at the time so it was kind of a big deal because of course i was training at quite a high level of the swimming pool and i needed to think about what i was going to do when i had my period a lot of um people on the swim team who were my age were taking days off of training when they had their period And it was the big decision almost right away, do I use a tampon? Which is kind of almost a traumatic decision for a 12-year-old. But I was really lucky. My parents were really supportive of uh, just body image stuff in general. And my mom was really supportive. So we talked it out. And I I think I had a few periods in and then she basically taught me how to use a tampon. And it went okay. And I went to swim practice and I remember feeling pretty empowered because I didn't have to take, uh, you know, practices off when I had my period. Um, So I think that's the thing I remember most about my first period (laughs) was I was one of my first friends to use a tampon. And then of course everyone wanted to know about it and um, it was a big deal. So I, I didn't really have any, you know, bad periods per se when I first started menstruating. Um, but definitely when I was a teenager, 15, 16, I did get some heavy periods. I think partly it was due to stress. I was a very driven teenager. I was very academic. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I think looking back, a lot of it was related to when I was, when I was over, overly stressed or kind of you know stretched too thin with my academics and my sport. Um, and I remember going up the stairs of my high school and we had to wear uniforms so I had to wear a kilt and I remember feeling blood trickling down my leg walking up the stairs and just being mortified and then I had a big patch of of period blood on my on my um on my kilts and I had to wrap you know my my sweater around my waist for the rest of the day. So I think those are kind of two of the (laughs) the most emblazoned period memories I have Mm -hmm. probably from being a teenager. so, you know, nothing too dramatic, but certainly that, you know, that walking up the stairs, you know, worrying about boys, you know, seeing me. um, I think those are things that a lot of, you know, women go through and no one really talks about them. Um, So I often, I often talk about these things when I do talks about women's health.
0: And going back to when you got your first period, you said it was really empowering. Your mom taught you how to use a tampon and, Knowing that, so swimming is quite intense, you're in the water, Um, you never had any issues after you learned how to use a tampon
1: um, with your swimming
0: on your period?
1: No, I was actually really lucky. I think that part was really easy. It was kind of later on when I started to have some heavy periods um, that I started to really connect it to, oh, maybe this is stress related, Um, you know, what can I do about this really heavy period that I'm having, but the first few years, my periods were quite light and I just was able to use kind of the junior tampon and I went to swim practice and it was, it was almost like um, it wasn't a big deal. I remember even having a big race when I had my period, probably when I was about 13 and um, I did a lot of visualization as part of my training. So I would visualize myself feeling um, more powerful because I was having my period and going through this race rather than, I think, you know, the other way of thinking about it is, oh, I'm going to be really tired for this race. Or maybe if someone had a heavy period, they would be really tired. Um, so I think generally my, my first experiences were positive. Um, mm. But certainly, you know, I think the fact that I remember that walking up the stairs and, you know, bleeding, it's probably, it was probably a bit of a traumatic occurrence
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you said that you linked heavy having a heavy period with stress which is quite you know quite advanced when I think about the other guests that I've had on the show or other women I've spoken to when they when they've had heavy periods often they're not sure why they have period heavy periods and they just kind of get Get on with it. How did you learn? How did you make that connection? And how did you learn about what was happening to you?
1: I think I, you know, it was just kind of a thought that I had really when I was a teenager. Um, and you know, when I was 16, I I finished I, I went into university when I was 17 and I already knew I wanted to do medicine. So I was already kind of have a bit of a scientific mind, I think, thinking about these things. Um, but you know, there was not a lot of information out there. Like when I went to my doctor about my heavy periods, he said, well, you can, you know, you can go on the pill, um, if you want. And that's what I ended up doing because I also wanted birth control when I was around 16. So again, I talked it over with my mom, my mom was really supportive. And she said, you know, if you're going to be sexually active, you want to be safe and you should go on a birth control pill and all these things, and then it'll help your periods. Um, and I also had some teenage acne. So those three things kind of led me to the pill. But when I went to discuss that with my medical doctor as a teenager, there was not even any discussion of stress and periods, really. That was something I just kind of thought about. Um, and what did I do about it? Well, nothing really concrete, really, at the time. I guess I was just trying to connect the dots. Um, and really, as I got into university and I had to really manage my stress, I got more into yoga and meditation quite early. I was I started doing yoga when I was like 18 to help with stress um, at university. So I, I think for me, it was just a gradual kind of realization um, Versus the doctor's opinion at the time, the GP's opinion was okay. You just well, if you have bad periods or if you have hormonal imbalances, just suppress it with the pill. That's the only option. It wasn't really ever discussed anything else that could be um, a factor. And I'm, of course, I'm not against going on the pill either. Some some of my patients say the pills like saved them. We're going on an IUD, so I'm not against you know the Western medical solutions. But I do think when it's offered as the only conversation for women, that can be a little bit limiting or a lot limiting. Um, I think this idea that you just, the only thing to do when you have a bad period is just suppress it um, rather than digging, as you said, into, oh, is stress playing a factor or hormones playing a factor? Um, I didn't learn really about the fact that we had hormone cycles until I was in medical school properly about, oh, so maybe I feel more energized and I can do more cardio training in the first half of my cycle versus in the second half of my cycle. I'm going to generally feel maybe not so energized and I need to be more eating different foods, having a more nourishing diet, a more nourishing routine, um, avoiding the caffeine. Those things I didn't learn about until I I learned about um, the anatomy and kind of physiology of periods in medical school. Mm -hmm. And even then, they just taught us the the kind of medical parts, but they didn't ever connect it back with saying, oh, well, this is how you can change your lifestyle around your period. It was just purely like, this is what the hormone levels do at this day. So I felt like it was really disconnected. I had to kind of connect the dots myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And when you were making those connections, so, I mean, by the way, everything you're saying is music to my ears. Um, (laughs) But when you are making those connections and when you're putting the pieces together and did it change what you thought about being on the pill and talk a little bit about your journey coming off the pill.
1: Yeah, it's that's a really good question. So I was one of the main reasons I really liked the pill is because I had this teenage acne. Um, so of course, you know, my mom wanted to help me with my acne. She bought me this. I remember she bought me this expensive infomercial kind of natural um, system for my acne, and it, it didn't really work. <laughs> but she really wanted to, to help me. My mom, I was really lucky. I had really supportive parents. Um, so when I decided to come off the pill, it was really, I, I guess it was near the end of medical school. So I was 24 at the time. So I'd been on the pill for almost a decade. Um, and I didn't really have any side effects on the pill. I felt fine. My skin looked great. Um, you know, I just, I didn't have bad periods. I had very light periods, but one of the things that made me consider coming off actually it actually was is really two things. The first one was, I started to study more natural medicine at the same time as I was taking my medical degree, and I got I got really interested in getting in touch with my cycles and the fact that you know when you're on the period, the period you have pill periods, you're not really in touch with your natural cycles. So I really wanted to see what would happen if if I had a natural cycle and I got into a natural rhythm. What would happen to to my emotions? Would I I don't know? Would I have a better sex drive? And I didn't really even know that my sex drive was lower on the pill necessarily, but I wondered if things like, for example, reaching orgasm was was a problem on the pill because um, it's another thing I didn't really understand fully at the time, even though I had a boyfriend and I was sexually active, but I, I didn't feel like it was easy for me to have an orgasm. And I was like, okay, well, I've, of course I was in medical school. So I was doing all this research and I said, I wonder if it's the pill. I wonder if, apparently the pill can, you know, cause this. So there was all these little things that kind of led me to say, well, I think I just want to try coming off of it. So that's what I did. And when I stopped the pill, it was a really interesting process for a few reasons. The first thing is when you come off the pill when you're, you know, this, and this is, I guess, 15, 20 years, 15 years ago. um, The first reaction to a boyfriend, of course, is, oh, now we have to use, you know, condoms. They don't like it very much. So first of all, you have the male pressure. Second of all, my skin just went crazy. So my skin, it gradually got worse. And then I got my acne really, really came back and my periods did get heavier. So I had that to deal with. And um, but I decided actually to stay off of it because I did find my sex drive did increase and I really liked it. Um, and I, I did feel like it was easier for me to reach orgasm, you know, in, in sexual intercourse. And I just thought that that was such a, a great benefit that I really wanted to see what else I could do naturally. Um, and then that went—that was kind of the beginning of me going down more of a natural route towards kind of managing my cycles, um, realizing that if I wasn't on the pill, Um, I I did some topical treatments for my acne. So I used the benzoyl peroxide and, you know, I used a few, um, uh, uh, well, the uh, the vitamin A acids. I was really lucky. I didn't have to do any Accutane or anything. So I kind of managed my skin like that. Um, I got into really looking at my cycle as, as kind of a cycle, not me feeling the same way every day. And that really helped. Um, and I really started to look at my stress levels and, um, I added herbals like ashwagandha. I started taking a lot of herbal supplements. Um, I was already had a very healthy diet, but I started adding more healthy oils to my diet. Um, and all those things just really helped. So I never went back on the pill. Um, and I think the biggest pressure to go back on the pill over the years has probably been, you know, boyfriends and guys, you know, because it's a pain in the butt when you're in a long-term relationship um, to not be on the pill. Mm. But I decided I was really going to s- stick with my decision, and um, for me, it's it's been the best decision. It's i you know, I wouldn't say that for everybody, of course. Um, but yeah, that was it was a big it was a big shift for me. I think. <laughs> Can you talk a little
0: bit more about the connection between the pill and libido? Because what you've said is quite interesting. And you said that you, when you were on it, you still were having sex, but you noticed that when you came off it, your orgasms were more intense. As a physician, can you talk a
1: little bit more about why that might be? So there's, it's not really a very well studied area, to be honest, but some women find that they have trouble reaching orgasm when they're on the pill. And it's probably because the way the pill affects our natural hormones. Um, But we don't know exactly, you know, exactly why. And some women don't find a difference and some women do. And I think because of the lack of really sexual education to the point of focusing on women's orgasms. When I was a teenager, I didn't really know a lot about how to have an orgasm or, you know, how to self-pleasure and all these things. So for me, when I first started having intercourse with my first, you know, serious boyfriend, I was 17. I, I really didn't know much about it. I just thought having good sex was feeling pleasure and not feeling pain. And that was kind of it. Um, and we didn't, I didn't really talk about what I liked with my partner or how to maybe how to, for him to help me have an orgasm because I didn't really know that myself. (laughs) So I think it was a lack of, I guess, um, awareness about women's orgasm in general um, Mm. that led me to really maybe take a few more years to kind of put the connection together. Oh, I wonder if I'm not having orgasms when I have intercourse with a partner, partly because, um, well, maybe I don't know how to, you know, pleasure myself properly. And I, I went on that journey. And then the other thing is, I wonder if it's the pills. So, um, yeah, we don't really know. But a lot of my patients will say the same thing. They will, and oftentimes, unless I ask them, they will never bring it up. But I, I often will ask on certain medications as well have, you know, how is, how is your, your sex, your libido? Um, you know, how, how are you able to reach orgasm? Are you happy with it? And some women don't care and that's fine too. Mm. Um, some women are just not really into sex that much. Um, and everyone's different, but if it bothers them that they're not having orgasms, um, or if their libido is low and it it bothers them, then I think it's something, the pill is something to look at definitely is is a possible factor.
0: Mm. I want to talk more about the connection between stress and periods because it's certainly something that I'm seeing a lot in my practice where being in the pandemic, being in lockdown, Mm -hmm. women are coming to me and saying my period is late or it's missing or it's longer or it's more painful. Um, And you've talked about the connection between the changes in your period and stress. For listeners who are putting the pieces together for themselves. Can you talk a little bit
1: more about the, why that connection um, happens? Definitely. So this is something we know a lot about actually. Um, and I think doctors should talk more about it. So, so when your, your cortisol, when your stress hormone levels are high chronically, meaning over a longer period of time, so you, you tend to uh, crave sweets uh, and carbohydrates because the body thinks that you're constantly trying to run away from, ice, I say, a saber-toothed tiger. Mm. So um, the body gets confused because we're supposed to have this, this, this rush of stress hormone when we're in physical danger. So when we were cavemen, we were, you know, living our life in the jungle and um, everything was gray. And then we would see a saber-toothed tiger and the cortisol would rush would come on. It would enable us to run away from the tiger, give us that muscle energy. Um, and then the cortisol would go back down once the tiger was gone. But in modern life, we have all these mental threats. So, you know, your boss emails you something stressful, you have a due date um, at work, you... Uh, you have a fight with your partner, all of these little things build up, build up, build up. And the body treats it the same way as if you were constantly running away from a tiger, if you're not managing your stress. So what happens um, instead of the cortisol coming back down is it stays high. So yes, yeah, so you get those food cravings. It even affects memory consolidation. Do so you feel foggy, but kind of wired. So I call it the tired, but wired problem. Irritable on edge, but unable to wind down. Um, you don't make as much sleep hormone at night naturally, so your body can't sleep as deeply. And then it's this vicious cycle. And then you need more caffeine, um, like a little bit of caffeine in the morning. Like I drink a cup of coffee in the morning, but I just limit it to one. And for most people, that's okay. But if you're needing caffeine more than I say really a cup or two in the morning every day and you need it to wake up, that's potentially a sign that you know, um, your body is, is feeling quite stressed chronically. Mm. Um so all these things of course go back to affect our women's hormones that balance our cycles. Um, because if we're not sleeping properly, we're not eating the right foods, we're not supporting our women's hormonal system, then things start to get out of balance and period problems show up. Um and then there's genetics. So some women are blessed with just being, I, I call it having a high um stress set point. And some people are not, and it's no one's fault. It's just the way it is, partially genetics, partially environment, partially what we're, what we're conditioned over the years, our life experience, um, all these factors. So, so yeah, so that's, that's really how stress plays a, quite a central role. Mm. That's really interesting,
0: and I think that will be really helpful for listeners who are trying to understand why the changes that they've been experiencing recently have manifested in their period. So now I want to talk a little bit more about your journey into becoming a, a an integrative physician. So for listeners who don't know, can you explain what an
1: integrative physician is? Sure. So um, like we talked about earlier, so I'm trained as a conventional medical doctor so I went through the normal training, but throughout my training, and it really did start with me really getting interested in, in stress myself. And I've always been interested, you know, I was a teenager about stress and its effects. But um, in my third year of medical school, I went through a very challenging period. And I had um, a harassment, a sexual harassment case with a senior um, a physician that I was under his, his tutelage. And it was very, very stressful. And in the end, my school ended up being very supportive. I ended up reporting him, but it went on for a few months. And I reached the point where I felt so stressed that I didn't want to go to work. I felt like I honestly knew what my patients with depression felt like because I was just so underslept and stressed. And it was really a turning point for me. Like I knew I was interested in holistic medicine before that, but after that um, I got really into meditation and managing stress and really just being in connecting with myself on a deeper level. So I decided to start taking courses in um, natural medicine. So I took a course in Chinese traditional medicine at my university um, I was one of about four students. It wasn't very popular at the time. Um, I'd already done some, some training in nutrition, some courses, but I, I did more of that. Um, and then I just kind of continued on doing courses. And then when I graduated and opened my practice um, in family medicine, I decided, because after about six months, a lot of my patients were just having all these chronic conditions. that weren't getting better with the pill alone approach, although, of course, I'm not anti-drug. I wanted to give them more. So I ended up um, seeking out a program in the United States called the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, which is for conventional medicine doctors. Um, to do basically a two-year fellowship program. And what we learn in that program is basically um, evidence-based natural medicine. So we do mind-body medicine. So we learn about mindfulness, MBSR, mindfulness and stress reduction, meditation, um, everything from lifestyle medicine to how exercise affects us, um, nutritional medicine, And then of course, the other arm of that was botanical medicine, which really led me into cannabis medicine and CBD. So I I went and did that. And I brought that back to my practice. And I started using botanicals alongside drugs with my patients. Um, I started using dietary, I mean, lifestyle approaches, ranging from the very, very simple to the more complex and using functional medicine testing, that kind of thing. So that was really my journey. I really added it because I was seeing a need with my patients and it was what I was doing myself because I always said, you know, I would love to offer my patients the same quality of uh, wellness and education about their health as I would want myself. And I take supplements myself. I take herbals. Um, I, I, you know, I try to minimize the use of drugs. I mean, um, all of these things I wanted to do for myself. I really, I really wanted to share with my patients. Um, and the unique thing about the integrated medicine program in the U.S., and now they have it at Harvard, University of Arizona, UCLA. So this is a fully board qualified specialty of conventional medicine in the U.S. now. So that was a big deal. That was This is a new specialty, basically, in, in the last few, few years. When I did it in 2012, I was one of the first, um, I think I was if I wasn't the first, I was one of the first in Canada to do it. Um, and then it became a fully board-qualified specialty, just like cardiology or OBGYN in 2017. Um, it's still not recognized as a special a full specialty in the UK. It's just recognized as a special interest. Um, but the cool thing about it is it's all evidence-based. So, you know, I studied, I did a course at Harvard with um, the father of mind-body medicine, Herbert Benson. And I studied with these amazing doctors who were all medical doctors, but they were using their medical expertise to really go beyond the drugs only approach. Um, so everything in integrative medicine has evidence. That's what's really unique about it in terms of the natural medicine world is um, it's all really based in research and evidence. And I really like that approach as a scientist.
0: You mentioned that you then had been focusing on botanicals. So Herbs and you mentioned CBD. So, for listeners who aren't familiar, tell,
1: tell us what CBD is. Sure. So, when I first started getting into botanical medicine, I've, I've been using, you know, botanicals in my practice for about a decade. So, it wasn't the first one that I used, certainly. Um, but what really led me to it was a lot of my patients were in Canada were, um, my really bad chronic pain patients, my cancer patients, my palliative care patients, some of them were starting to grow their own cannabis or get cannabis oils from like a local kind of black market at the time herbalist. Um, And I got really curious about that because I was also, you know, I was prescribing other botanicals alongside drug therapy, Um, but I wasn't using cannabis because of the stigma. There was no commercial products at the time to prescribe. Um, And I had a lot of baggage around the word cannabis from my medical training. And they didn't really even know the difference between CBD and THC as far as medical doctors back then. Everyone just thought cannabis bad, CBD, THC, all the same of course it's not true. So you know when I started realizing my patients were getting were getting relief from their chronic pain and it was helping palliate their cancer symptoms not cure but just helping with the palliation and their sleep and all these things Um, and they were coming down off their opioids, like some of the other more harmful drugs, I was very, very curious. So I started um, doing a lot of my own research. I started reading a lot of research papers, which were really in animal models when I first started looking into it. Um, There's a Canadian, well, he's actually American, but he does a lot of work in Canada too, called Dr. Ethan Russo. He was a neurologist who was doing a lot of cannabis publishing. Um, I had a, a colleague in Colorado, Dr. Scott Shannon, who was a psychiatrist, conventionally trained psychiatrist, and he was starting to use CBD and, um, medical cannabis with his patients, mainly CBD. So I, I got really interested and I just started researching and, and asking my patients and thinking, maybe I should be prescribing this somehow if it's possible. Um, So then really why I got interested in CBD specifically, um, it's just one chemical in the plant, but CBD does not have any, um, it's called, it it basically does not make you high. Um, It's it's called psychomimetic properties. That's THC that can make you feel high or intoxicated, although it also has medicinal properties. CBD is non-intoxicating. So it does not make you feel high or stoned or impair you in any way but it has a lot of really powerful, um, properties. It's an anti-inflammatory. Um, it helps with, um, the gut health. We think it may help kind of tone the endocannabinoid system, which is our natural cannabis producing system we have in our own bodies. Um, I've seen it help for everything from topical use and sometimes people find it helps with their skin conditions to um, really serious autoimmune disorders and epilepsy um, and anxiety disorders. So that's, you know, that that I really got interested in very high CBD, low THC medical cannabis. That was, that's what I, you know, prescribed most in my practice.
0: For So for listeners who are, Go, going into this world of CBD so we're recording from the UK so THC is illegal here uh, but I know it's not so Canada where I'm from originally it's not um, so it, in the UK if they want to dive into the world of legal
1: cannabis that what would you recommend that they start it's a really good question so in the UK so I've moved back I'm British and Canadian I think like you as well right yeah yeah, so we're very lucky. So yeah, so we moved back about two years ago and all this cannabis legislation was changing in the UK. Um, so currently here in the UK, if you are interested in trying CBD for a wellness indication, so just for helping with stress or um, kind of um, you know mild to moderate anxiety, you can buy a CBD product from hemp over the counter. You can buy it at a health food store. So CBD from hemp is a C- it's still CBD. But it comes from a variety of the cannabis plant that is has no THC, well, very low THC, or the THC has been removed. So that's legal to buy without a prescription. Um, if you have a medical condition then it's always safer to do it under the advice and the um, you know, prescribing of a doctor, of course. So that would be someone who might have um, endometriosis, for example, or might have really severe PMDD, so premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, or really severe anxiety disorder or sleep disorder. And here in the UK, um, I've actually been, a lot of my work since I've been back has been in the nonprofit sector and the education and government sector. So I, I've been training um, a lot of the first doctors in medical cannabis. So medical cannabis, even containing THC, is legal, but by a prescription. So if you have, if you're on a lot of medications, for example, if you have epilepsy, if you have endometriosis, um, then that's a reason you might want to see a doctor who specializes in this type of medicine. Um, And again, you know, that's what I've been my focus of my work really in the UK. It's been training doctors in this. Um, And I volunteer a lot of my time for a lot of the nonprofits to help train doctors. So you would see a doctor on the GMC specialist register and they would assess you for medical cannabis and they'd probably still prescribe high CBD Low THC, but it probably the oil that they would prescribe for you probably has a little bit more THC than you would get in a shop. And for pain conditions, for sleep, um, for a lot of different medical conditions that are quite severe, that tiny bit or a little bit more of THC um, actually makes it work a lot better.
0: Really interesting. So if you're in the UK and you have severe, mm-hmm. so like stage four endometriosis, and you're really struggling with the pain, so yeah. you're saying look at the GMC register, so General Medical Council. Well, you won't
1: find it there. So okay. <laughs> this okay. is where it gets complicated. Um, the best place to go for information if you're looking for a doctor, um, I'm not seeing patients at the moment because I'm going on maternity leave in, a, in another four weeks. Um, but I'll be back. But in the meantime, I've trained some, I've worked with some lovely colleagues over here. And um, the best way to find them is to go to the nonprofit that um, I vice chair in the UK. It's called the UKMCCS.org. Um, so we're a nonprofit, all of the doctors on our council volunteer their time, including myself and our chair, Professor Mike Barnes. And we have a list of the clinics that prescribe medical cannabis across the UK. Um, there's Unfortunately, they're all private at the moment. There's no NHS prescriptions being written. Um, we're doing a lot of campaigning to try to change that. But I think, to be honest, we're quite a ways away as far as probably a few years. Uh, unfortunately, there's uh, a lot going on behind the scenes to get it available, but um, it's, it's a slow process, I have to be honest. So sadly, it's in the private sector right now. So you have to pay privately to get the prescription and to see the doctor. But that the UK MCCS website has a lot of resources so people can find out who is prescribing, what clinics are in what area, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's the best place to go if you want medical cannabis, if you have a really severe condition. Um, otherwise, if you want to try CBD, it's very safe from hemp for most people. Unless you're on certain medications, again, that would be the medical category. But um, in general, if you're not, it's very safe to try on your own and you can pick up a good quality CBD oil um, and, and just uh, give it a shot yourself.
0: Well, actually, for listeners, all the links that Danny just mentioned will be in the show notes. Um, in your book, The CBD Bible, you talk about the importance of full spectrum CBD um, and that's something that if you go to a shop and you want to purchase some CBD, that's something you should be looking out for. Why is that important?
1: It's a really good question. So full spectrum CBD is basically CBD that's been extracted from the whole plant and it still retains at least some of those other plant chemicals in it. So there's things called other cannabinoids. So there's you know something called... Um, CB, CB, uh, CBDV, um, THCA. There's so many other plant chemicals in the plant that can be beneficial both for a wellness use and for a medical use. And they all work together in the plant because it's, it's called what's, what's what's called, um, herbal synergy or some people with cannabis know it as the entourage effect. So I do find that full spectrum products work, work the best, um, That being said, the the rules and the laws in the UK around CBD in Europe are changing quite swiftly. And as of next year, um, it's probably not going to be the case that you will be able to get full spectrum CBD. It's going to be just pure CBD, which is still beneficial, but often people find they need a higher dose. So when that does happen, when those those laws change, you might find that you need to up your dose. Um, Or you need to look for a product that's been kind of teched up a little bit. So there's kind of some high-tech products that will probably be coming out. They'll probably be trying to add some of those other plant chemicals back in one at a time. So it's never going to be the same as full spectrum, but that will probably, unfortunately, um, again, this is something that I wasn't happy to see. Um, happening but it looks like it's inevitable now um, but right now if you can get a full spectrum product certainly um, I think that that does work the best at the lower doses for most people and again it's not universal this people always say well what's the evidence well, there's not really good big studies to prove this. There's a few animal model studies that looks at pure CBD versus full spectrum um, for pain in rats. And they think the full spectrum works better at lower doses, but the, the evidence is weak. I have to say, but clinically from what I've seen over the years, I do think it works um, a bit better so a lot of
0: listeners to the podcast will be really interested in everything we're talking about and they'll be interested in how they can use cbd um, for specific conditions that they're facing so this were podcast about periods so let's talk about period problems so in the book you talk about how we can use cbd if you have period pain and
1: you mentioned a kind of protocol that you can use. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So there's a whole chapter in the book about um, women's health and periods. And then there's a whole nether chapter about sex and libido in CBD. So, um, but just distill it down. There's not a lot of big study. Well, there's no big studies for its use in periods. Um, and this is something that I talk about in the book. Is being really kind of uh, annoying and frustrating when I was <laughs> writing this chapter. Is I realized even for men's health, there's more evidence and studies than for women's health conditions. And unfortunately, this is something that kind of permeates medicine. Mm-hmm. A lot of women's health conditions um, are understudied, although it's changing, luckily. But it's it is still a, a phenomenon we see, um, and this is definitely the case with the CBD in women's health. That being said. Um, CBD has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties and it can help lower stress for many people. So of course, this is definitely related to how bad periods are. It's not its not going to cure your period pain if you just start using a little bit of CBD, but A lot of people find that it makes a massive, massive difference um, in order for them to not even really notice their period pain anymore. And everything in between, some people find it helps them 20% or 30%. Some people find it helps them 70% um, because everyone is different with response to the dose of CBD because everyone's um, body responds slightly in a unique way. That all being said, um, if you're using it purely for period pain, but you don't have um mood issues throughout the um throughout the month it's just the period pain that you want to target uh, a reasonable way to start would be, you know, starting to use a CBD oil potentially, you know, five days or three days, bef- maybe even three days before your menstrual cycle starts. So you have to track on an app, for example. Um, there's one called Iperiod that I, that I use personally. There's lots though. Um, and then, okay, your period will start probably on this date. So three days before you can start taking your CBD and you could start with say um, 10 or 15 milligrams, two or three times a day with, with a meal. Um, and then on the days that you have bad period pain, you can really up the dose and you could experiment with that. Of course, the cost goes up when you start really upping the dose. That's the downside. Um, and for acute pain, like to stop pain in the moment, THC tends to work better. So that's why if you have really bad period pain, um, sometimes adding a little bit of THC from say a prescription cannabis medicine is going to be a lot more effective for you. Um because CBD is more, it helps with more kind of the chronic um, anti-inflammatory anti-stress effect. And some people do find that it helps their period pain kind of more acutely, but it's not the norm, I would say.
0: Say you mentioned it briefly, but I just want to dive into this a little bit more um, that CBD is not a Mm cure-all. What would you say to someone who's saying, who would say to you, oh, I just, if I take CBD, it's going to, fix all of my period problems. What would you say to them instead?
1: I see CBD as an amazing botanical medicine um, tool, but unfortunately, just like anything in botanical medicine or anything in medicine in general, either Western medicine or natural medicine, there is no cure-all solution. CBD does, however, do a lot of different things in the body because this, the system that we have, this endocannabinoid system, basically we make our own cannabis like chemicals. It affects everything from eating, sleeping, relaxing, stress relief, immune function. So because the system does so much stuff, CBD can do a lot of things too, because it works on that, this system and other related systems uh, in, in the brain and the body. So it can do a lot of different um, jobs in the brain and the body, but certainly nothing is a quick fix or a cure-all. I always tell my patients in integrated medicine, uh, you know, run the other way if someone says they're going to just give you something and all your problems are going to go away the next day um, from taking this one bottle of anything. Um, it's just unfortunately not the way we work because we're really complex. So Mm. I use it as alongside other herbals, alongside stress reduction techniques, alongside integrative medicine, and oftentimes alongside drugs too. Um, Mm. you know, Western medicine drugs. So that's how I see it fitting in. Um, And the medical side, on the wellness side, you you probably, you know, you might not need any drugs, but you might still need some herbal help and some help with stress reduction.
0: Mm. Okay. That's really interesting. So you, now your book has come out, the CBD Bible. Talk a little bit as we close out the show about what prompted
1: you to write the book and what you want readers to get out of it. Sure. Um, so this book is really kind of a labor of love of the last 10 years of my experience as an integrated medicine doctor um, in botanical medicine and then in cannabis medicine. I've, I've treated thousands of patients um, with CBD and medical cannabis and then I've trained a lot of doctors. So um, I basically wanted to write this because there's a lot of academic books out there for kind of scientists about CBD and cannabis. And then there's a lot of lay books that talk about it kind of on a very kind of superficial level. But I didn't feel like there was a book out there that someone could pick up and flip to the sleep section or flip to, I don't know, the period section and find out how to actually use it in all the nitty gritty details. So I just wanted to kind of, I guess, spill my guts with, all of my (laughs) secrets and tips that I have found over the years doing this, um, for years and years and years. Um, so people could feel empowered because I, I think that's for me, integrated medicine, that's what it's all about is empowering my patients. Um, I think when you take the drugs only approach in Western medicine alone, people can feel really unempowered and, um, they, they, they just kind of lose their sense of they can actually help um, their body rebalance, and you know their internal sense of hope um, and that's where I see integrated medicine being so powerful because there's so much we can do. You might not be able to cure a chronic disease, but we can improve it so much with these tools and CB is one of them. So in the book, we talk about CBD, but not just CBD, also medical cannabis and all the other things in the plant too. Um, So that way, if you want to use it uh, on the medical side, you know how to talk to your doctor about it because they might not know. They might be open to prescribing it to you, but you might have to educate them on how. So there's a whole section on every problem on that side of it too. And then also on CBD wellness. So things you can pick up from the shop yourself and start today. Um, And then just um, how to monitor what you're trying to, um, what you're trying to alleviate, um, and being kind of your own expert. Mm. It's
0: a great book. And I would encourage anyone who's curious about CBD to pick it up. It's really easy to access and there's just, it's just packed full of amazing information. So if listeners come away from this podcast with one thought or one piece of information, what would you want that to be?
1: Well, I think CBD is not going anywhere. I think it's a wellness, it's a wellness trend in some cases, but I think it's also kind of a revolution in botanical medicine. Um, So I would say if you, if you're having any of these period problems, um, in addition to managing your stress and looking at your diet and your lifestyle, um, as far as a single botanical that I would you know, consider in, including it would probably be CBD. Um, so you can check it out. Um, you can just go to a reputable company. There's a whole section in the book on how to pick a CBD oil as well, not by brand, but by like what's actually in it. Um, and just see for yourself and just do what you do with any kind of wellness routine. Just track how you're feeling. I have a whole, a section there about, okay, like tracking your symptoms and tracking how you're feeling and, um, i think that the message is botanical medicine is about empowering yourself about your health and wellness taking control back um and that's where i see cbd being a part of
0: what a great message take empower yourself i i love that and i know listeners will too thank you so much for coming on the show if listeners want to buy the book where can they
1: grab a copy Um, So it's in many bookstores, big and small, but because of COVID that's not been as um, possible for many booksellers. So uh, amazon.co.uk. So if you go on UK Amazon, it's, it's there. Um, If you go to my Instagram, I have a link to it. Um, So it should be pretty easy to find. And where can listeners find out more about you? So um, Instagram, I'm dr dr danny gordon um, and there's a link there to my blog and um, i post videos there educational videos and all the information about um upcoming talks i'm doing and all that jazz
0: brilliant thank you so much thanks so much for having thank me you. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you liked today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Linise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.